And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with the noble, great Dr. Bear Paul Lando coming to you Ooh, live. Noble. Very noble, sir. Coming to you I live. I don't know where we came up with that one, but you come up with something new every week. Well, it is quite true. You are a noble fellow with a um, an amazing heritage that goes back to the great Pope Lando. So that being said, we are... Oh, we're on- going to talk about the Vatican today and my um, my distant relatives from the dark side of the force. Well, now everyone, you know, um, Bear is not c- controlled op, so... I know now the conspiracies will be flying through the the ether here. So uh, I am. Uh, I have been trying to reach out to Leo Zagami for a while because he's got the whole uh, Italian bro thing going, and and the insider perspective on the whole uh, Vatican, you know, historical timeline. So I want to see uh, what Pope Lando was up to and why they killed him so quick. He was only uh, in the papacy for nine months, and then they they offed him. Maybe he was a. Maybe he was noble too. You never know. Maybe he was a white hat, uh, <laughs> even though they wear the little weird fish hat, right? Um, I've yeah. got one of those myself. We've kept I, it in the family all these centuries. Um, that would be a really fun show, and I'm looking forward. We will get Leon. I will reach out to him as well, uh, and uh, uh, touch into that. I we just actually booked Marty Leeds. He's coming back on, so we can. Oh, I saw that. Uh, Brother Marty, love Marty, and it's. Uh, I'm glad he's coming back. Always love to talk to Marty. Yeah. Well, today we have Derek Condit on, and it's one of my favorite topics as a uh, somewhat uh, new beekeeper. And of course, Bear, you you've been a beekeeper for decades, so this is going to be an amazing talk. I actually went out and hugged one of my beehives this morning. I'm getting into that, meditating in the morning, hugging them, loving them. And I noticed, I was talking to Derek pre-show, one of my hives isn't doing so good. We think it might be fungus or something. They were pulling out little bee bodies this morning, and they seem like they're not as active as usual. I did put a couple shungite pieces in the entryway there Um, this morning. um, I was kind of lagging on that, Derek, and we'll get into all of this, but what a fitting time. It's spring is here, actually a little overcast today, but it's been actually very hot of late, and we are in the song of increase, which I want to talk about a bit today too. It is probably the bee's favorite time of the year, right? As everything's flowering and they're um, activating and they're out there uh, harvesting all that beautiful pollen and doing their thing. Today is going to be a very fun show. Um, Yeah, but today I want to get right into it. Uh, Bear, I'm throwing it over to you. Um, Anything really quick to update from the farm and then I'm going to introduce Derek. No, I'm just uh, stoked for this conversation. It's great to get into one, uh, you know, where it's uh, things that we're actually involved with and actually make way more sense in, uh, you know, putting our focus on rather than all this other garbage in the world. Because uh, while everybody's distracted with BS, uh, meanwhile, the, you know, Brother Buzz out there is making things happen to maintain life on this planet. So today's a real important topic. So go for it, Mike. And then, awesome. uh, then we'll get going. Fantastic. Today, Derek Condit joins us, renowned bee expert, uh, for a profound journey into hive consciousness to explain why bees are truly an otherworldly gift to mankind. Here at Alpha Vedic Gardens, we have enjoyed a long and rewarding experience as beekeepers. The doc and his wife, that guy, the noble Dr. Berlando, 
uh, have co-authored articles and conducted classes on the critical role of the many varieties of pollinators in their parallel journey with mankind. Today with Derek Condit, uh, be intuitive and expert, we'll go deep into the hive mind to understand the mystical workings of the queen of all pollinators. Uh, owner of Mystical Wares, energy worker and intuitive, Derek was born in Inglewood, California, uh, and joined the U.S. Army as an M1A1 Abrams tank crewman. Wow. After serving nearly four years, most of which he was stationed in Mannheim, Germany, he honorably discharged to pursue a career as a commercial deep-sea diver in the Gulf of Mexico. Beginning in the spring of 2016, Derek began his apiary of shungite beehives, using his knowledge of treatment-free beekeeping combined with the mineral shungite. So expect our conversation to traverse through the properties of shungite and organite as an invaluable ally to bee and beekeeper alike to the otherworldly origin of bees. If you're a naturalist, agriculturist, beekeeper, or just keen on the metaphysical realm, you won't be disappointed. Wow, um, so much we could talk about right there in terms of your life journey. And where are you right now, Derek? I'm actually at Mystical Wares, our, our polished rock and crystal store. It's a lot more than that, but in Mount Vernon, Washington, in my office. Oh, beautiful. So you're up in like Sonomish uh, area, Washington, correct? Yeah, actually Skagit County. So just maybe 10 minutes north of Snohomish. So I don't know, maybe an hour north of Seattle for those that aren't familiar, just off I-5. You're by our brother, Josh Del Sol. Very cool. Who's done amazing work uh, in the EMF field as an activist. I got to connect you guys. Um, but Bear Lando, take it away. Uh, Derek, uh, thanks for being with us, buddy. This is a, a great one. I don't know where to start, really. I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. We've got uh, we've got bees, we've got organite, shungite, <laughs> and all sorts of uh, stories to share about uh, the origin of bees. Maybe you know, there's um, uh, a tradition of teachings that have been on a planet forever, and they talk about different hierarchies of uh, consciousness, you know, that have been uh, assisting mankind forever. And uh, rather than think about them maybe as planetary realms, maybe uh, realms that we associate with different energetics and uh, our brothers and sisters from what we would consider Venus uh, gave us many gifts on this planet, we are told. And two of the main gifts uh, as far as uh, contributions to our ecology was the redwoods that are preserving a stability on um, the West Coast here. Interesting that we cut 97% of them down, but you know, they're still doing good work here. And then the other one was honeybees. And um, so honeybees uh, are supposedly sort of an otherworldly, um, uh, you know, little gift from, from elsewhere. So uh, that's kind of interesting. I don't know if you've ever heard anything like that. You know, my wife and myself, um, interestingly, my wife, Deb, uh, my bride for of, uh, going on 50 years now, uh, Deb means, uh, Deborah is actually means bee in, um, Hebrew. <laughs> and so, um, you know, she, uh, is kind of a busy bee around here. If you were ever to follow around in a particular day, but two of our main topics, because we do a lot of education, you know, we teach, um, you know, just local classes and write articles for periodicals and local newspapers. And two of our favorite subject matter is, uh, native plants. 
because we really think that's a good idea that um, agriculturists uh, really get involved and introduced to native species and, you know, really focusing on them and also pollinators. And here in California, we have over 20,000 different species of pollinators. Now, honeybees weren't indigenous here. So we're told they were just introduced from Europe, but they've definitely become an important part of our ecosystem. And I believe that, uh, you know, mankind has the uh, right to um, propagate species of uh, different animals and things in the plant kingdom. Um, you know, just like birds flying overhead will poop out seeds and things. So we have the right to, you know, move things around a little bit here and they surely uh, enhance things, you know, in our part of the world. So I've always, um, uh, I started out long ago doing the Langstroth uh, beehives. Uh, a, a good friend of mine from South Africa, who is a great beekeeper, you know, he introduced me to the art of beekeeping. So I really jumped into it. And then I moved into uh, more top bar hives. So maybe if we could talk a little bit about that. I did that and especially, uh, um, you know, favored ware hives because they kind of mimic what, you know, um, bees do out in nature and you don't have to tamper with them as much. And I noticed in my own experience that the hives actually thrived a little bit better. Um, so I'd like your thoughts on that. But uh, but really, uh, what you bring that's uh, novel to the whole beekeeping world is, uh, you know, some of your innovations with shungite and everything. So uh, maybe you can uh, start us off by telling us how a person that used to drive tanks in the army uh, traversed into metaphysics and beekeeping. So thanks a lot for being here again. This is uh, this is going to be amazing fun today. No, I appreciate you having me here, Bear and Mike. Um, thank you very much. And we can go all over the place. I've jotted a couple of notes down. Everything you've mentioned from Venus to the Redwoods to Langstroth beehives. Um, and really quickly on the um, redwood trees, I wasn't aware of this. So I am, as you mentioned, beginning an intuitive so I can communicate and perceive energies is like how I like to term it. It was about two years ago, and I'll make a really quick story. Coming through the Redwoods in one of my many trips down the west coast of the U.S., <clears throat> excuse me, I stopped, of course, to, to take advantage of the energies and the feelings and emotions in the Redwood Forest off the highway there. And so I went up, as many people do, and I literally, as uh, Mike mentioned earlier, he hugged his hive. Well, I hugged the Redwood tree, one of them, and I had one of the biggest aha moments in my life that tree literally started speaking to me and again i was joking with mike before the the show i don't know how woo-woo we want to get because i can go kind of out there for some people but that one caught me off guard so i actually appreciate you mentioning how the redwoods and the bees are such um strong forces and energy holders as i'll term it on this planet the redwoods i mean again i do a lot of crazy things and i have a big perspective of reality and again, I jokingly will call it woo-woo stuff, um, but it's all real. As physicists will say, 10% physical, 90% metaphysical, approximately. Play in the 90%. And when you do that and you hug those redwood trees and you're open to it, literally in, the, in that case I had on that day, a whole conversation and or downloads were happening. Um, so again, I just want to acknowledge that, or thank you for acknowledging the redwoods, because those are unique entities on this planet. Um, again, with the bees too. 
Uh, and then, and so you yeah, go back to, yeah, and go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, don't don't worry about woo woo uh, okay. here. We call it woo because woo woo is sort of like uh, both sides of the equation. We like uh, woo on one uh, side and some external observation skills and technologies on the other side. So it's a nice balanced way of looking at the world, and uh, nothing's going to stretch our imagination here. Don't worry about it. Uh, awesome. Yeah, I won't be shy then. Um, yeah. Um, so you mentioned a little bit about the army. So I've kind of been all over the place. So early on in my twenties, I did join the U S army as a, a tanker and I was, they called us tankers. Um, I was stationed in, as he said, Mannheim, Germany for years. The unusual part about that, I won't get too much into the military stories, but, um, my command as they would call it, they knew a little something about me. I know that because from the day one, I was, um, just, let's just say treated differently. But then over the years I was there, I was taken into different locations just to perceive. And I wasn't what I guess I would jokingly call outed at the time as being, well, loosely called an intuitive or an energy worker would, I guess, fit a little bit better. Um, But that sure wasn't lost on, again, my command. So they'd take me to some of the old Hitler hideouts and bunkers and put me in old hotels and things. Um, So lots of stuff going on in there. And not coming at it from the 3D perspective of getting into the the woo, I was just kind of experiencing living life because I didn't have the terms or knowledge or background on that. So I just thought it was normal. Because my mom was a an intuitive or psychic, not you know, one that hung a sign on her door or was taking sessions or anything, but she was, but we just didn't know the terms. So that carried into there. So I had many years of that. And again, this is more about bees, so won't get into all that. But quickly after my military um, <clears throat> stint, again, I became a commercial deep sea diver, which put me in whole other frequencies and environments. And sometimes we're talking about many hundreds of feet underwater because I'm a scuba diver as well and all that, but a, a deep sea diver. So you can think hard hat, umbilical cords coming down, um, just doing that for years. And in those dives or in environments and frequencies and pressures, and I'm bringing that up because it had something to do with what I like to call the vehicle I'm in, the body, because, of course, these are just vehicles. Um, it did have an effect on me from there. And then into the part of the – and I'll move quickly to this one, too. But after the commercial deep-sea diving days, I was a, I'm now a retired correctional officer, so prison guard. I was actually a guard in a maximum security prison for 16 years. Talk about high energy – Lots of entities, and they're not in there for, you know, singing too loud in church or things like that. I was at the maximum security. They're in there for some bad stuff. So being in that environment, kind of like a chef in a really busy kitchen, lots of stuff going on, lots of recipes, you really get expanded. I don't like the term advanced, but expanded into energies. Um, As long as you can hang on for the ride, and evidently I'm one that can hang on for the ride. So I have countless stories and all that as well. But long story short, within all those decades of um, just being all over the place, and I'm leaving big sections out, of course, just for sake of the interview. Um, But again, being in all those different realities and environments and frequencies and entities, um, it really does have an effect on you to where you're more able to perceive the metaphysical. And then as I do sessions here in my office, because I do in-person and remote sessions um, of different types of things, well, again, it's like a a chef being in the kitchen, the more you cook, the more adept you get at, the easier it goes, the more you fall in the intuition. Um, so that's kind of a, again, my background in a quick little spiel. Um, and then from there, I've always been interested in bees. Um, similar to you, I started with Langstrothides as well. 
and I'm sure everybody listening probably knows those. Those are the, the square ones or rectangle ones you'll maybe see out in a field somewhere that are often white. Um, so I've worked all the different hives, including the, um, the top bar hives. And I'm actually um, working on a couple of designs of custom ones myself, hollowing out logs with a hexagon design inside because the, the geometry, the be it called platonic solids or sacred geometry, that's not lost on me. So I realize that's a big factor as well. Yeah, that's amazing. I really want to dive into your, uh, your, your hive design and everything. You know, it's quite a contrast of experience. And uh, in correctional facilities, other parts of the world, they have introduced uh, prison gardens and uh, really noted that it has an amazing rehabilitative effect on the inmates. I was just thinking, uh, wouldn't it be pretty cool if you introduced beekeeping as well? You know, you could really change the consciousness of a lot of those folks and, and you know, have some true rehab going on. Um, you know, the octagon, uh, you know, it's a certain angle. And in biogeometry, you know, every angle, what it's about, is it like 66 degrees or something like that? But every single angle in biogeometry uh, of that dimension creates uh, an abundance of a certain energy that we call the golden mean energy in nature, uh, 1.6. And, um, you know, it's um, in biogeometry uh, we call BG3. And it's uh, we I create uh, borders with those kinds of angles around a lot of my growing beds. And uh, it's amazing the effect it has on growing plants. So pretty cool to make a bee uh, house, you know, with those same kinds of geometry. And uh, I really want to hear about, uh, you know, what you've observed as far as what it does for the bees there. Sure. Um, and I have, a, for those that are watching this interview on video, I know someone will hear audio later. What I'm holding up here is a little C60 molecule or a buckyball or a fullerene, a soccer ball shape for those who aren't familiar. And of course, there's little hexagons and pentagons in here. Um, and it's not random. Clearly, um, Bear and Mike, you both know that, you know, bees didn't choose that hexagon shape to form their honeycombs out of randomly. There's something to that. They're not fools. They've been around a lot longer than us, as you already not only alluded to, but said they didn't even originate from here. So they've been around the block. They know what they're doing. So that's a hexagon shape is still what I'm talking about, is a very good structure for holding energy. Um, so when they do that, it keeps it, you know, as, as you well know, it's called living energy or orgone energy, moves around certain energy patterns and whatnot. Again, maybe the outline of the universe is another way of thinking about it, um, the shapes. So what I've done is, uh, and tying into that beehive design we're talking about, you can get a large, you know, you maybe need maybe a two foot diameter um, log, or you can build it. And I'm working on designs as well, where you can start with different just wood and build the design, but making that hexagon shape that the overall beehive will be in. So now we can think layers of structured geometry. So starting all the way down from within the honey, actually, and then the honeycomb and then the bees and the frequency. But that's where shungite ties in. And for those that aren't familiar, again, I'm holding on a camera. Shungite is just a, a black mineral. It's found in Karelia, Russia. But it has a large amount of those C60 molecules I've been talking about in it. And those hold energy as well. So now here's where we get a little more into the woo. What I'll do when Mike was talking about hugging his beehive, which is what a fantastic idea. You should do that. Um, of course, be careful for those, you know, not to crush some bees and things like that. But he was aware of that. But that's adding energy to the energy. Um, we'll just say structure around the hive. Because someone like me, I... 
I call myself a perceiver of energies. I can actually see frequencies. It sounds crazy as heck. I understand that. And it's hard to talk about because we don't have words, especially in English language. But I can perceive frequencies and energies around people. Sometimes that's called an aura, a biofield. Objects have this too. So again, I'll just work with the term perceiver of energies. So when I perceive the energies around the beehive, and I can actually see them on the visual spectrum as well, not just metaphysically, think with your third eye. And I can actually, again, I like the term perceive, but I can feel them. Um, And I don't have to have my physical, because I'm not limited to my physical body, and I'm aware of that. So I can use my energy body and feel them as well. And it is even more tangible than physically touching something. I know it sounds odd, but it is a thing. So using these understandings, when I go there, I realize again that 90% of this reality is metaphysical. It's our imagination and feelings, but that's real. So knowing that, I'll take that buckyball in my imagination, that little fullerene shape, and put it around the beehive as well. That's an etheric structure or layer. And I start to watch, I don't have a better term than cohesive, but the energies around the beehive become a little more cohesive or a little more structured, calmer, loving, good feeling energies. When I do things like that, literally, and I just said, just with my imagination and intentions, but the bees immediately respond right away in 3D physical with other people around me. That alone shows you there is a connection. Not that anybody listening to this podcast needs to know that because I'm sure they're very aware, but tying in that metaphysical to the physical. So yes, your imagination and emotions. So get excited about it. When I put these structures around the hive, that affects the bees. I have less losses. And then I integrate that into the physical realm by putting, again, as Mike and I were talking earlier, Shungite nuggets at the entrance. And Shungite, we haven't got much into it yet, but it's a very earthing or grounding stone. It moves energy. It just will calm you down. I like to say it removes whatever is excess and overage for you. And that differs per person, per moment, all the time. So you don't want to have something or somebody say, you need to remove heavy energy number one or two or whatever. And I'm just making fun of it. But whatever at the time is excess for you. And with that understanding, that's how you can actually kind of control or drive little energy tools like Shungite. Again, the Shungite piece, the nugget in my hand is just 10% of it. The other 90% is energy and how you affect that is again with your imagination and thoughts. Yeah, and, and metaphysics is simply multidimensional physics uh, in contrast to scientism, which is a two-dimensional reductionism, uh, you know, observation, which really, you know, just tells you a limited amount. So uh, metaphysics really is the word we should be using for science. And, uh, you know, one thing people are always... Uh, discussing is how do bees know what to do well well, anything in nature really but you know they're of course just like we are playing uh or interacting with the ether which is a living intelligent medium that we swim around in all the time so when the bees are doing their thing uh you know that intelligence that ether just like with us there is a two-way communication going on. And, and what you uh, talk about as far as being able to perceive energy, well, that is our natural attribute. All of us should be doing that. Uh, take eyesight, for instance. There's a receptive uh, element to eyesight, and there's also a projective element. And we rely, uh, after we're toddlers, uh, pretty much just on that receptive aspect 
and uh, the imagination that we all create with that is our main creative faculty you know the ability to um, you know create thought and imagine things and then project that that's what we do with our eyes so when you use both of those attributes of eyesight simultaneously then you start seeing all these things that have been right in front of us all the time so um, you know, I believe that we're going to see a great um, influx of people like yourself that are regaining that normal eyesight that uh, for whatever reason we lost. I have some good uh, ideas why we lost it, but <laughs> it's as we come around the bend, we're going to have a new appreciation for it. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And, um, I agree with you. Everybody already has this sight and it can be enhanced. So as I started playing with it, realizing that maybe I was a little bit different um, than others, but not necessarily, then I started, um, again, playing with it, enhancing it. So it's something you can do. It's kind of like lifting, you know, weights or heavy objects. All of a sudden, you're going to realize you got muscles growing and you can work with it. So what I also want to put out to everybody listening is don't think that, well, I don't have the, the woo site that Derek's talking about this. Set. Yes, you do. It's called an imagination. Now just eat <laughs> into it. Oh yeah. And just let go of the reins because the bees are not, there trying to control anything. They're going with the flow is what they're doing. They're just loving, living, enjoying. I know it sounds corny, but that's a thing. And the more we do that, the more we just get in the flow and can access these ethers and energies because everything's already out there for us to access and know um, it's, it's, it's really easier than we would think. Yeah, the, the bees are the greatest representation to me and a reminder of the hyper-consciousness that connects this entire realm. They are just living and playing and being. They're being, <laughs> right? Um, and we are the greatest technology. You, I, you know, we want to always externalize even the Shungite or all these, you know, different technologies. Like we, you know, as a neophyte beekeeper, I bought in and got a flow hive, you know, I thought that was cool. And now I'm realizing the plastic and stuff in it probably isn't a great idea. And then they're doing new stuff and trying to remedy that. I think they're even that company's waking up to that. But um, we can touch on what a flow hive is uh, if you guys want. But I do find it fascinating, um, Derek, what you're talking about is that, you know, as I think more and more people are waking up to this childlike ability that all children have, like I have two young boys that are still one, my youngest is still in these delta waves, like in his imagination all day long. And I remember as a kid in a dark room, seeing things come alive and, and start manifesting in the darkness and coming at me and you think, is that just my imagination? Or as Bear is saying, maybe that is my sight projecting this into the ether, into the reality, these thought forms that are literally generating into the real field. And that's what I, I you know, it seems like to me the bees are doing daily. Um, there is this book I brought up before the show, this fantastic book. Shout out to Yannick, our, uh, my, our, one of our Telegram admins who sent this to me. And Bear, I, I need to get this to you. This You're supposed to read this too, by the way. Yannick asked that you read this. Uh, it's called The Song of Increase. I've mentioned this on the podcast a few times by Jacqueline Freeman. She's a holistic organic beekeeper, and she psychically talks to the bees. And what she talks about is how the bees themselves holographically project their reality to each other. So the drones, for instance, we're often told the drones are just there to meet with the bee, the queen bee, and that's their only purpose. But what she talks about is how the drones are so much more. They are ambassadors for the colony, and they are actually the only ones allowed, I guess, and 
Tell me if I'm wrong here, Derek. They're the only ones that are allowed to go out to other hives and go into other hives. And what they do is they holographically project the history, the family line of their queen bee to these other colonies. And that's how these different colonies actually interact and they know the heritage, they know the family line of, of each colony and they're connected as a matrix, as literally a honeycomb of all the colonies across the world thanks to these drones. And then um, as these drones go off and decide to find the next house for the, for the queen, for the next queen because you know there's generations of queens the queens typically what hives do is they swarm and we can talk about this um as the the new queen takes over the old queen leaves the drones have actually already gone and found the new home and they holographically project that that new home to the colony that's leaving and they already know where they're going so i guess when they're swarming a lot of times they already know where they're going they're just getting prepped to go there so fascinating and i only bring this up and i'm going to ask you um derek are you familiar with this book we kind of touched on it briefly before the show and two um asking a little bit more on how that holographic kind of presentation works within the bees and how that connects to us as living consciousness what a fantastic book. And I am familiar with everything you're talking about. And actually I wrote a quick note down here um, that I want to say the natural state of not just bees, but every living creature is the intuitive state. It's when we get too crammed down here in 3d and limited is when we don't access more that's out there. So yes, bees do do that. You can think of bees um, because they're natural intuitive. So yes, the drone will go to another hive and communicate and just, intuitively or psychically send stuff back a lot of us are doing that that's acknowledged stuff so it's already a thing um so yeah bees do and they do it very naturally and what they actually do when they're swarming i don't know if the book gets into it mike but when i've caught i don't know how many swarms out there and relocated them and done splits and all types of different things and um bear knows about those as well but what you in the swarms when you see them they're actually exchanging genetic code as well and i don't know again if the book gets into it so they're acclimating to the new location and adjusting literally the physics, genetics, physical genetics as well. But the most important part is the energy part. So there's a lot happening in there. They do know the location. The drones are not just, you know, useless males like some people put out, as you were talking about. Um, no, they do a whole lot more than that, of course. And they do already have the spots located. They usually get in a couple spots. And then they'll ask the queen where she wants to go sort of deal. Um, and you can try as a, a bee keeper to maybe you know catch that swarm put it in a hive but you're not going to force them to stay there they're going to go where they want to go <laughs> beekeepers know that. that and when they are swarming um they're very docile right and you can do a lot with them and i still haven't got the guts we just had a beautiful big swarm this spring early spring the weather's been all weird so everything's been kind of off but they're just massive swarm up in a up in a um a conifer right in our yard and um my wife, we were taking video of it, and she said, do you want to be the bee, the bee beard guy? You want to do the bee beard? <laughs> I was like, no, I, I, I'm not that guy yet. Um, have you ever done the bee beard, or have, what are your um, experiences with the swarming uh, and engaging with them? Because in this book, she talks about literally putting her hand in the middle of the swarm and moving them in her bare hand oh. and, of course, never getting stung. Oh, of course. That's well, when they're... Yeah, fair. I was just say when they're swarming, they aren't defending a hive or anything, so they are pretty docile. I've caught swarms before, uh, you know, in trees on the side of a bridge a few years ago, and we just go over and scoop them up in the box. And like you say, you know, you you bring them, and they might stay or they might not. I want to ask you too, uh, Derek. Um, 
I kind of refrain from, you know, traditional beekeeping. You go and you destroy the new queen, uh, you know, little, uh, you know, that are trying to, um, you know, form there to prevent the swarming. But I used to just uh, let them do their thing, let them develop new uh, queens, and then just let my hive swarm, do whatever they wanted to do. So, uh, and then I always had enough uh, stragglers that stayed behind to repopulate and create a new a new hive. So how did you used to handle that or, or exactly. still do? They're, they know what mm-hmm. they're doing. I don't stop anything. I would never in any lifetime come in and, and kill a queen bee for, I mean, I know that's a thing. I don't even like talking about it. It's so just disruptive to me. Um, that's just not mm-hmm. right in my understanding. So no, they, I'd let them um, supersede themselves. I'd have up to 12 queens at one time um cells mm-hmm. in a hive let of course let them all why would you not and the whole i lived in the or i do live in the cascade mountains here in washington state so we're all about expanding bees it's not about my they're not my bees it's about expanding the energies so we have even photos over the years of the hillsides expanding with color age meaning they've gotten more pollinated and stuff growing by doing that letting the bees supersede expand into the mountains go into the wild that was the whole point of it it's not like trying to put them in a border. So I'm with you on that 100%. Um, I, I never did things like that. Or And if we had plenty of bees, well, and they got too much, take a few frames, put them in another hive. They'll choose to stay. And more often than not, they always did. And they'd stay in that hive, which actually ties into what Mike was saying too. So when I dealt with those swarms, and I've had those interactions to where I literally a neighbor next door said, a bee swarm, we're going to call on these people. And we're going to spray them and hose them down with poison and kill them. I'm like, what are you talking about? So I grab a ladder, go over there, no gloves, anything. Preemptively in my head, metaphysically speaking, of course, I put that big, um, all those bees in a honeycomb. So I think of that buckyball initially and fill it with love. And they start calming down. But just like you had mentioned, Bear, they're not trying to protect something anyway at that state. So I wasn't overly concerned. So long story short, I went up calm, knowing I wasn't going to get stung. Go take handfuls of bees. I had a beehive in my box. I did another time with my son. Literally, it was a high tree. He had to hold it over his head. He's all, Dad, are you sure they're not going to sting you? Put him <laughs> in a, uh, that buckyball of love. So armored him etherically, just come to love energy because he was a little nervous. So helped out. Same with the bees. Long story short, there were no stings that day. And we're talking about many, many thousands of bees, whole fistfuls without gloves um, that Mike had mentioned too, and had no problems. And then we just stack them and, you know, add them to the apiary and they either come and go if they want. And we've had um, with shungite and then we'd put them into a shungite hive by placing again, the mineral shungite at the entrance. So the bees can ground or earth themselves. And we can get into that if you want, but then we also painted it with shungite paint kind of think Faraday cage sort of deal. If you're, you know, ex-military, so we use terms like that, but it is affecting the environment. So a lot of those harmful frequencies from the cell phones, the 5Gs and all that stuff in the environment isn't as harmful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, bee venom is uh, very medicinal and I use it in my practice. Uh, you know, it has uh, a lot of uh, very good properties and I very rarely get stung, but when I do occasionally, it seems to always be in a perfect part of the body that needs that particular medicine. And, you know, if it happens, uh, I just go, okay, thanks. <laughs> you know, I guess I needed that. Uh, but it never looked at a bee sting, especially, you know, being a beekeeper, because you do have a relationship and you are sensitive to uh, bees in your surroundings. So, um you know, I, I just looked at bee stings uh, very differently, not as an attack so much. 
They're, they're not. They follow energies, and it's going to sound odd. Um, but my last bee sting was actually on, so right between my eyes. So you can think if you're thinking pineal gland or third eye, and clearly it pineal glands inside your skull. But it wasn't lost me where they went to, and it had an effect regardless um, on that. So that's where my last one was. And that, again, wasn't a random bee sting either. And then I could go on an hour, and I won't, for on what that did to um, enhance, boost energies, because they saw I was using that energy center, sometimes called chakras, of course, um, but energy center. Um, and it boosted that because I was perceiving them with that third eye. They're drawn to energy. And then after that, and bees communicate too, just like that. Redwood story I kind of went quickly through in the beginning. Oh, bees are big time communicators. Um, and it's it's unbelievable how fast they communicate as well. So, I mean, being connected all the time as they are, well, I guess it doesn't surprise me that they are so so connected or in tune with everything. And, yeah. uh, and, and at the area, go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say, uh, well, you know, you go ahead because I'm going to talk about tripping out on honey. Go ahead. <laughs> I just a quick comment, you know, at the area of the optic thalamus where you have the pituitary of the pineal behind it there. Um, when people start growing their awareness, a very powerful arc starts intensifying between those two poles. And that creates, uh, uh, you know, very intense electrical activity in that area. So it's not surprising at all that a bee might be attracted to that. That's interesting. I didn't know about that. Wow. And I was just going to bring up the, and I don't know if people know about this, but, and I did it last night and it was a lot of fun is that, but taking a spoonful or a tablespoon of honey before you go to sleep, your dreams kick into a, an amazingly vibrant state. So last night um, I actually took a, a tablespoon of your shungite honey uh, and uh, from Derek, cause Derek was nice to send me some and it's fantastic. And my dreams are off the hook, and they were very. Uh, and I also took some Hawaiian organic honey uh, that a friends had had uh, given to me when they were visiting. And I had dreams of my dreams last night were in these like tropical locales, and they were very vivid, lots of bright colors, and lots of um, interactions with beings. So it was very interesting um, on that. And so I just bring that up with the third eye thing. There's something going on there. <laughs> with the energetics of the bees talking to our higher selves or to our astral bodies. Do you have anything to say to that, Derek? I can actually give you a couple more suggestions for what we call our Shungai honey that you're talking about. Um, so it is an organic honey, treatment-free honey, no chemicals. And even the shape of the jar, and I don't have one here with me, is a, it's in glass, of course, not some plastic bear, you know, up on a shelf. So it's a hexagon jar holds the energy because in all these layers matter even the container you put your um, energy devices in which honey is an energy device so for the shungite honey another suggestion would be literally tapping your finger because it's an energy tool so yes you can lather your toast with a bunch of shungite honey but really you just need a little bit so i would put a little bit on the tip of your finger and put it right on that spot between your third eye and if you do meditation relaxing you know any energy modality um, like that that will boost it and then one more suggestion, um, again, they often call them chakras, depending on your understandings or, or energy centers, nerve accumulations, but there's an, we'll call it an etheric chakra point on the roof of your mouth. So what I'm saying is if you, again, just take one or two drops of the shungite honey, put it under your tongue, touch your tongue to the roof of your mouth, you're making another connection in there with that shungite honey is kind of a metaphysical booster um, and then get into your meditations and whatnot, you'll just see a whole lot more happening. And it's not like all of a sudden, you know, all the lights going to, I mean, 
hang on, because maybe they will, but be open to more is more my point here. So when you see that Shanghai honey is not just a, a honey or a supplement, because it is has all the good probiotics, antibiotics, um, antimicrobials and all that stuff. But with the addition of the Shanghai honey, um, and we do enhance it, by the way. So the Shanghai powder with minute or fine silver particles. So the metal silver as well. So again, that combination of recipe is a really good metaphysical one. Um, and then open wounds as well, which of course any organic honey is good for, but you can put it right in there. But yeah, metaphysically speaking, and, uh, and I'll stop here in a moment. The It is also good, the Shanghai honey for animals. So internally, externally, we have our cats and dogs, birds, everybody lining up, literally lining up for it to get their supplement or energy supplement of Shanghai honey. Um, it has such a great effect uh, uh, digestively as well. So for lots of uses, really. Yeah, and, and we, we, we can't forget that there's a whole alchemy happening between the bee kingdom and the plant kingdom. You know, they're, they're gathering the life force of that particular plant with the pollen. So there's another whole energetic happening there. And with the, with the tongue, you know, I was talking about the, uh, the little arc that happens between the two poles in, in your higher brain centers. Um, when you put the tongue right on the edge of the hard pout where it gets soft there, that is the direct conduit. It's just like plugging in a wall socket. Uh, to um, you know, access internally that arc more effectively than when you you know in any other way. That's why when you're running energy, doing the microcosmic orbit or something, you know, you put your tongue up there because then that connects all the you know with the throat chakra and, and you know up the head and everything, and just lets the energy go in both ways. So, yeah, amazing, uh, amazing tip there to do that. You, I just did that while you were saying that, Bear. That's why I told this, and you rang my ears. Both my ears started ringing instantly. Yeah, yeah. The whole tonight. So tonight is like symptoms for those. So those aren't. It's not us going deaf. I mean, there's always a percentage of that. But the tonight is like symptoms ringing in your ears. Often is a whole metaphysical connection. So I'm talking ringing in my ears, and yeah. it's instantaneous. Oh yeah, and that can be tuned into what I jokingly call a like a metaphysical sign language. As I get more into the energies, oh, it's it's it blows my mind almost on a daily basis how honed it can be. It's not just, as they term out there on the internet, subtle energies. If you're getting a Reiki session, oh no, it can be as succinct and distinct as physical, touching energy-wise and all of that. And then the what goes on when I literally have a thought or imagine somebody, I can look off to the side and I get to see the whole scenario. They'll call it remote viewing. Oh no, there's so much past what they call remote viewing out there. I uh, Just remote perceiving, I would say, because I have a two-way interaction, can communicate. So it is a thing too. And I don't know if there's terms for that. Um, so I would just say, everybody just know that don't limit yourself to whatever book out there. If it's a psychic thing, remote viewing thing, or, or a book that tells you bees can only, or can do all of this, they can do a whole lot more as well. Um, so it's, it's been a lot of fun expanding as I've been communicating with bees and energies. It's, it's only subtle if, um, if you're completely numb and isn't it amazing that, um, you know, we have all the faith in the world when we plug our toaster oven into a wall socket, but then here we are running around in the most sophisticated technology ever devised, uh, you know, with all the electronics and subplanes and everything, and we don't even know how to use it. It's just something as simple as we're discussing, like touching the tongue to the roof of your mouth in order to create a real synapse. There's nothing mysterious or woo-woo about that at all. No, no, not at all. I'll be open to that. Even here in Mystical Wares, we have some, some 
um, outsiders will say crazy pyramids. I built some copper pyramids over there. You can sit in them. You can feel the energy flow. There's, there's so many ways to interact with energies, be it again, rocks and minerals, copper pyramids, or just sitting down and chilling the heck out and then feeling it. And as you do that more and more, it's kind of like being on a bike with training wheels. Hang on, because all of a sudden you're going to look down and realize you haven't been on those training wheels for a long time. And then all of a sudden you're going to find out you've been doing a wheelie. So just go with the flow. Don't focus too much on it and have a lot of fun. And then it goes faster too. Yeah, that's why um, we talk about a lot in the animal kingdom. You don't see a lot of illness unless they're messed up by our own toxicity. We're the ones that mess everything up because we've lost that connection. We overthink stuff and we, we just, you know, have uh, that inability to just go back to the natural flow because of all the nonsense around us. So laying down with bees yesterday, I was planting some uh, cucumbers in the food forest and I was by my, um, I have some borage, which they love. And uh, uh, I was sitting there and they were, you know, the bee honeybees were coming in and there was all sorts of different bees too around here. I don't even know what they are. I mean, we have Mason bees, which we could talk about a bit, which uh, our permaculture guild, we do workshops where we build the Mason bee uh, hives to support them because they're amazing pollinators. But there's all sorts of other interesting bees. Like I love seeing the fat kind of lazy, big black bumblebees <laughs> that kind of look drunk and <laughs> just kind of bounce around. But I was watching them and it was just so playful. And it was just a reminder. I just laid down on the ground and uh, just kind of chilled out because they just resonate with that playfulness of nature. Um, but yeah, um, uh, do you engage with these other pollinators as well, like mason bees? Do you, have you ever done anything with them? Interested on what your perspective is on these other types of bees? Oh, sure. Mason bees, carpenter bees. Um, we do a lot of work with them as well. We, we've come up with developed shungite hives for them as well, be it painting or nuggets or powder, different ways, because they need to earth or ground or release excess energies too. But of course, mason bees and um, carpenter bees, they're, they're better pollinators than honeybees. I think it's like 400 times better. They're just much faster. Um, so we work with them. And for those that don't know, maybe you've seen a little birdhouse looking device with some little bamboo shoots in there. There's lots of ways of doing it. And sometimes they're cardboard. Um, but when we work with the mason bees or carpenter bees, we're big on not using, sometimes we'll put in little paper inserts to where you can remove the eggs later and kind of put them in your fridge. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but then you can control when the mason bees um, hatch the next spring. You just put them in your vegetable drawer of your fridge, but, and then take them out when you know the temperatures are going to be 55 degrees ish or more and then you can then um, put them in the, the mason bee houses yourselves and the eggs will hatch. So uh, another add-on for that, what we do around here, we'll keep, of course, make it easy for them, have a, a bird slash bee bath. So it's a bird bath, but for the bees with shungite nuggets in it, because why, yes, bees will travel up to like seven something miles if they need to, but why make them do that? If you can put something like shungite water and shungite water is a thing. Um, scientists will call it living water, M-state water, Again, structured one, lots of ways of describing it. Um, but if you, be it a bee or us, if you consume water that is structured for you molecularly, so the molecules will literally align to you as an entity, if you have it in your biofield and think about it, you can think love, you can drop shungite in it, but any of these various ways will help you um, have living water. So you absorb about 90%, excrete about 10% in the human case. So bees, when they're in this, what I call now a bee, a bee shungite fountain, they're getting their shungite water. So it's processed. And just like us, if we go to 
tap water, turn on that tap, it's probably gone through how many pipes and pumps and 45 degree turns and chemicals in it, unstructuring it. So it's, it's a dead water and your body sees it as such. So it's trying to get it out of you. So we're all running around dehydrated. But again, if you put Shanghai water in their living water for you or the bees, then you can help those bees heal themselves and better get through the harm we're putting in the environment, like the frequencies and the roundup weed killers and all that horrible stuff um, that shouldn't be around. So that's why Shanghai is so important. It's not that it's a magical stone that does everything. Well, kind of. It helps them heal themselves is what it really does. And, and so can you walk us? Can uh, I just say ahead. one thing about the Shungite sure. water, which I heard you talk about on another show, Derek, which I thought was really cool. And I've got my, I always have Shungite on me wearing it. Um, but um, that they actually get a little bit of the Shungite on their little legs, right? And now they are flying around with that Shungite helping to ground other species, other insects, other humans. They're like these little carriers of Shungite that are now flying around with the Shungite, correct? I think that was a very yeah, Very fascinating if you, idea. If gets on, um, I hate to advertise Google, but if you get on Google and type in the Shungite grid, you'll see what we built where people can go and put a little marker on there. It's, you know, a couple hundred thousand close to now spots um, where people have done that, including bees. So yes, we'll put powder out in little trays at the entrance of the hive at different times of the year, or just the nuggets. And as the bees walk over it, the powder adheres to their legs, a little negative electron charge. So long story short, you can think of it as the bees having their own little shungite pendants, much as yours, Mike, and they fly out. The shungite falls off in different spots randomly here or there. And on our website, mysticalwares.com, you'll see a shungite FAQ page where I've put the actual scientific studies, not me in my garage doing these things, trying to figure it out, but the actual studies and documents of that, where Shungai has had an effect on things like glyphosate, which is Roundup weed killer, which is everywhere out there. So yeah, we have a, a team of little little you know bees flying around with Shungai, dropping it off here and then the other, helping the environment, grounding or earthing it. So it does a lot, and they're definitely part of that team. So I'm glad you brought that up. And then, Barry, I think you maybe had a question. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you could elaborate a little bit more on your hives and uh, how you create a Shungite hive. And uh, and also what you make available through uh, your website, Uh, you know, if you do sell hives or the materials, do you have plans? Yeah, I just like to know more about all that. Sure. No, and I'll go in in reverse. We don't sell hives and what we do. And if you're a beekeeper and you contact us again at mysticalwares.com, we actually gift you the Shungite nuggets and powder for your beehives for free. You don't have to buy anything. We're about love and energy, not money. I know that sounds corny. Put enough love and energy out there. Everybody benefits. So we don't charge. Yes, we will sell Shungai powder and nuggets if somebody wants it for things. But you can literally contact us and we'll hook you up with that. And on the, the again, mysticalwares.com website, there's a Shungai Beehives page where I'm going to very soon put more videos. Because I've been doing this since 2016 and showing the different steps on how to use it. But in essence, you can start from going to a local um farm store, a co-op, they call it around here, or different places you can get a beehive. And for ease of use, the Langstroth ones are easy for the new beekeeper, but you don't have to do that. But I'm going to talk about that one. So you can buy the Langstroth beehive. um, And then what I would suggest you do is to make it a Shungite beehive, you would want to get a a low VOC, so a low chemical. You don't want it to off-gas a bunch. So get a good paint. Let's just start there um, because I can go into that for 15 minutes. And this is for the external 
um, walls of the hive only. You never paint the inside of the hive. But in that paint, you're going to want to take about one tablespoon, a U.S. tablespoon approximately of shungite powder, fine shungite powder. I'm being specific for a reason. And then blend that into a small portion of your exterior beehive paint. So you get all the clumps out, all this, all the you know stuff that's sticking together. And then you'll take that and pour it into your, your larger, maybe gallon of paint. Blend it. So whatever color doesn't really matter. You can choose that one. But remember, it is black powder you're putting in. So it's going to have an effect. But you can see it as a primer if you want. And then paint, you know, colors over it if somebody wants to do such. It's really about getting that shungite particle. And in this case, of course, many particles just disperse through the paint on the whole exterior of the hive. And again, militaries call this Faraday cages. And they'll use them for solar flares, nuclear wars, things like that. And they'll all work to different degrees. But in this case, you're not actually blocking anything. You're actually, the best word we've come up with was attenuate. You're having an effect on it. It's not that you're blocking every cell phone signal from entering that hive or anything like that. And we can talk square waves and sine waves on something called an oscilloscope that I'm trained on for my deep sea diver days. But basically, if you think square wave, think of like an edge to the the invisible energy wave coming at you. So you're kind of being poked all the time. And if you take the edge off of that, you have to be patient and loose with my terms here because we don't have terms for this. At least I don't know them. But again, adding that shungite powder and nuggets, what it does is calm that energy around. So it's not such a disruptive um, energy. Or again, I like to try and give you the visual of a sine wave hitting that bee's energy body continually. Then the bee has to fight that off. So it kind of just helps the energies flow a little bit better is what it is. So even if you put, and we have things like Shungite stickers for your cell phone. It's not that you stick a sticker on there and all of a sudden everything's perfect. And ha- no, but it does have an effect. Again, it attenuates, takes the edge off and it doesn't stop the cell phone signal. That's not the point um, because you're not going to do that. Stop these frequencies and look around. Everybody's a, a cell phone in their hand or Wi-Fi in their house or apartment and all of these. So we need to come in at least for this space of reality we're in now where we are still playing with these frequencies <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> until we learn that they're not such a great idea well then the shungite comes in and we can use these tools to help ourselves so that in essence that's a shungite beehive but even that i i would then put in the the foliage the grass around shungite powder because we've done it and again so have scientists and um other individuals put shungite powder in their plants, their grass, their trees, whatever. We have mullein plants that this year alone grew 10 times larger than they should ever grow. And this is by a guy that genetically modifies them himself. I added some shungite powder to this mullein and I'm sure you're very aware of it. It's a good plant for, um, for lung issues and things like that. So a medicinal plant, little shungite powder in there, this thing went, I don't know, probably close to 12 feet tall in one year compared to his other ones, just by adding shungite because shungite again, helps move energy. So I would put that in the, the grass and the fields on the property as well, that the bees are, um, you know, going to to pollinate. Cause as you mentioned bear that, of course, they're bringing that energy from the plants in the pollen form, which is that real good stuff back into the honey. So you of course don't just want pollen in the honey, you want good pollen in the honey. So then put your plants and flowers in a shungite environment as well. And then all your ingredients are now going to make that really good cake. Because I like to joke and say, that's why grandma's cookies are so good. She's making them with love, all the good stuff. And it really makes a difference. And you're going to know that. 
Yeah. And it's not about trying to stop bad stuff, which uh, actually when you do that, you, you shoot yourself in the foot because now you're dwelling on what you don't want and bringing that into your energy field, you know, like an antenna. Uh, like in biogeometry, again, we create an abundance of natural golden mean energy that uh, the benefits uh, overwhelm the other stuff doesn't make it go away but then that does become the predominant frequency that you live within so yeah it makes perfect sense we have a good friend that uh, justin franson who makes uh 5g bags it's the same thing he has different kinds of stones in there that do what you're talking about as well you know that again it's not trying to stop all that other stuff it's just creating an abundance of the good stuff that will then have an overwhelming effect on you uh rather than you know uh, the other things if they're left unabated so fantastic um let me ask you a quick question while i think of it um you know, we're always looking, we live out in the boonies here, so we're, we're pretty good. We're away from power lines. There's no microwave towers or anything for a long ways, uh, no power uh, poles either. And uh, so nature is pretty much intact up here, but we get a lot of reports all over the world of, you know, people that are paying attention to pollinators especially. And what's it like up in uh, the Pacific Northwest where you're at? Uh, has, has there been any decline in the pollinators? Or are things good around where you live? Um, there has been some decline. Some is what's, you know, loosely mm-hmm. called colony collapse disorder for lots of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and since we started using Shungai, we've had no colony collapse disorder losses. Mm. Other losses for different reasons, but not from that. Um, so, but there, there are losses. It's not like they've gone away completely. Um, I can guesstimate and say maybe, and I talked to lots of beekeepers around here that have huge apiaries or maybe just one in their backyard, one hive or something. Um, but the chemicals are, are a big issue mostly around here. They're, they're fighting that because this is big, at least in this neck of the woods, lots of farms and stuff going on. Unfortunately, that means, you know, a lot of chemicals, um, but we have had losses. We just need to realize we're energy beings, not chemical beings. So we need energy and that's with bees too. Um, so, I mean, even on the physical body, that's just a vehicle. You know, we're an energy being having a physical experience. We still need energy. So if we look at it that way, then, you know, and we, we just if we all awaken up to our bigger perspective and realize these little things, um, then we can really bring back the bees. Uh, but in answering the question, we have we, we're not like completely lost or anything like that. But big percentages, like scary percentages, are gone. So they're having to bring in more bees. And then with that, as I mentioned, chemicals, they're putting things like acid strips on there for mites. Things um, if you put shungite and you help bees stay healthy, they can fend those things off themselves, just like you and I. If we're healthy, we get a scratch or cut, we're going to heal a whole lot better. And we can be in these more harmful environments, be it frequencies or chemicals. If we're in a healthy state, we can deal with them better. And that's the whole point of the shungite in the hive. Again, it's not a magic black rock. It helps the bees be the best them and healthy so they can exist in this environment where hopefully beekeepers learn to not put like acid strips on their hives for mites. Because by the way, that obviously, as you know, gets into the honeycomb, into the hive, into our selves. I mean, all of this matters every step along the way. That's why I appreciate you so much and, and all that you guys are doing. Uh, education well, plays a, a major role here. Obviously, there's only so much you can do on your land if your neighbor is poisoning their property, right? So it's super important, once again, community, getting out there, educating people. That's why we do this show. 
you know, fortunately the organic uh, scene has erupted because people due to being sick, you know, are realizing that GMOs aren't good and that it's better to buy organic, even though we know the whole organic label is a lot of BS too. Um, But that being said, um, I do have a question about the chemical side of things as you do have drafting over from, you know, glyphosates and stuff. Um, do the, does the shungite and stuff that does provide a protection then you're saying against those, those harmful chemicals because you're like transmuting them that you're saying? Oh yeah, you absolutely can. And again, that study's on our site. You can take shungite powder. I've given it, literally given it away to organic farms, um, buckets of it. So five gallon bucket of the powder to spread in their fields to get it, could bring it back, regenerate because it'd been spread with so many chemicals. Um, so it does have an effect on, will literally neutralize the glyphosate around it. The other harmful toxins and chemicals um, in the soil or in your house plants or wherever they're at. So yes, that's, that's exactly. What we have people in the chat asking about the shungite powder. Where is the best place to get that? Cause I definitely, I know bear, I don't know about you, but I want to get that ASAP. I can't, and I'm, yeah. I apologize. I can't get in chat as well on the screen. So I'm not trying to ignore everybody, um, but just techie, techie issues on this side. So I'm not in chat, but the answer to the question on the, and I'll spell out the site because it is worded oddly, but it's mystical wear. So M Y S T I C A L W A R E S. So mysticalwares.com. And we have a Shungai tab on there where we do sell the powder, fine powder that you can use in different, um, you know, lotions, soaps, bath products, things like that, if you want for yourself, but for the B, oh yeah. And there's, that's a, some of the Shungite. Uh, yeah. This was a Shungite soap that you sent to me, uh, which I haven't even gotten into yet, but I'm very excited about this. And I will put your website. We always do all our shows in the show notes below. So everyone, um, yeah, you're about to get barraged here. But, <laughs> that um, Shungite yeah. soap you held up, Mike, is made out of pink Himalayan salt. It's the shape of a flower. It's a soap I've used for the last four or five years now. It's a whole salt bath in a bar. It's phenomenal energy. So that's an energy tool, not just a bar of soap. There is shungite powder in there um, is what it is. And then the powders, as you had mentioned, they're available on the website on the various shungite sections. And we have it in granular form or fine powder. Um, And there's lots of different shungite products from shungite water beads with because I'm a big uh, proponent of silver as well, and I don't know, bear if you use that much, but of course, you know, antimicrobial, antibacterial. But we have, I actually tumble, and I've been holding a piece the whole show here of shungite that I'll tumble, and this won't be lost on YouTube in a hexagon shaped tumbler in the back room. Again, even the so I'm talking about a rock tumbler, so yeah. a rock tumbler in a hexagon shape because that matters to the environment you're making these tools. I'll put the shungite stones in there with hundreds and hundreds of little tiny silver bars, just pure silver is the tumbling medium, nothing else. And we tumble it for three days. There's a little something to the three days too. So that's a whole nother show on its own. But after taking that out, we have what I call cosmic shungite. Um, so sometimes pendants or nuggets. It's actually what's in a little, little leather pouch I'm kind of wearing for those on video here, but it's an energy tool. We make them in bracelets, but it's actually, again, getting shungite in that energy of silver which is, um, I like to call it a biocompatible frequency for humans, um, mixing in that. So it's a whole recipe and then using those. So there is a, a shungite silver powder and shungite powder. So basically different forms for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, silver is very powerful. Of course, it's one of the main polarities. Uh, you know, if you look at the seven sacred uh, 
energies, metals, you know, coinciding with the planets. You have the solar and the lunar rays. Solar, of course, is gold, and, and the opposite polarity is the lunar, which is silver. I don't look at things so much as antimicrobial because I don't look at microbes as uh, enemies, and, and, and I'm not correcting you at all. I know what you meant. Um, but just for our audience, you know, what it does do is it creates a balance so that you don't have um, um, unabated uh, colonizations of certain microbes at the expense of others, just like in nature. You know, what you're describing there uh, in beehives is uh, classic bioterrain medicine. You're, you know, you're treating the hive, you're treating the ecology rather than attacking you know, germs or something the way traditional, uh, not maybe not traditional, but conventional beekeepers, you know, where they medicate their hives with everything from antibiotics to you name it, which is really a stupid idea. It's also the reason why people are so sick these days. So, you know, another, uh, if you don't mind, just a little bit of a, a different uh, topic with bees. Uh, when you look at them, they really aren't flying. It's not like they're birds where they're soaring through the air. They're, uh, they've got some special stuff going on there. And, um, you know, when you get into true science, you understand there's, again, two polarities. Uh, there's not a force called gravity, but there's two polarities. You could call them gravity and levity, and they play off each other. And when you know how to play between those two polarities, you can actually, you know, do what some people call levitation. And uh, so uh, what can you tell us about how bees really animate themselves through the air? Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's such a cool thing to perceive. So when I get to see that or perceive it, because, again, I get to see the, again, air quotes here, energies on a visual spectrum as well, a bunch of crazy whooshes and, and different things like that. I won't get too much in that. So when I see, see bees doing that, um, I'll just have to use the terms. I hope it comes out <laughs> understandably. Um, but they actually are generating such a frequency. They're affecting the, again, I, I don't have a, the terms are, um, to use to break apart the word energies in the more, but they're actually generating little toroidal fields around themselves. And they're, they're literally levitating. So I don't know what the science says out there. I haven't been through it all, but I can see them and I know what they're doing because I'm communicating with them as well. Long story short, they're generating a love frequency and that's around the 0.1 Hertz range. And it's affecting the ethers around them. They're literally floating there. They're not even trying. The only thing their wings are doing is kind of turning left, right, up and down, kind of, but they're going with the flow. So they're jumping into the creek, the available energies, going with the flow, and then just choosing where they go from there. They're not fighting anything, and they're sure not supporting all that weight for up to seven miles from A to B and this, that. It doesn't even logically make sense. Um, so when I see them, long story short, they get excited, they get happy. I see that love. I know it sounds corny, but love is a frequency and energy, and it's the strongest one out there. And then they go with the flow, and they don't have to fight those things. So then it's up to us to become aware of things like shungite and trying to keep chemicals away, so they can keep doing that. And then you know, I'll be team players. But they they levitate's the easiest way to say it. That's what they do. They affect the energies around themselves, yeah. and they remove what we loosely call is I'm glad you mentioned no gravity that way, those forces. And then they're just, you know, kind of they're they're in a way uh just floating on the orgone. That, that's might be a great segue into orgone. But yeah. also I remember when I lived in Los Angeles, I used to do beach runs uh in the South Bay and I used to see all these confused bees crawling on the sand 
towards the ocean. And was that because of all the, well, toxic stuff in the air, but because of the cell towers and things, is that interfering with the resonance of the orgone or is it the deadly, even the, what we call DOR, the deadly orgone radiation or whatever, that what is your theory behind all the retardation of bee behavior, uh, in, especially around in the cities? I saw that. So I'm from California myself. So I, I believe it or not, surf class is my freshman class in, uh, in high school. So I go down the beach. Oh, well, you were in this by the South Bay. You're in Inglewood. I, so I lived in Redondo Beach for years. So. Okay, same area. Um, yeah. Ener- there's energies in the water. So when you get down near the water and the waves are crashing, the particles are everywhere. There's frequencies that will just, those that believe they're in charge are pumping into the oceans. And I haven't heard people talking about this. So literally in the mist, there's more chaos and frequencies and energies I think they're just confused when they're around. There's what's going on because there's a lot of input. I get hit by that. I literally have to put myself etherically in that buckyball of armor. It's not a protection because if you think you need to be protected, you're like, ooh, there's bad guys and ghosts and goblins out that they can get me. Come at it from that understanding or feeling. Well, then you're actually, you know, compromised. Come at it knowing you're armored, you're not etherically, then that holds a different feeling and your energy matters. So again, just your understandings make a big difference. So I'll I'll add on to that. I'll put the beehives and the bees in little invisible soccer balls of love, um, but that will affect them as well. That is amazing. I I just want to say thank you so much. I am going to be implementing that. That is so fantastic. Go ahead, Bear. No, I just wanted to uh, get a little bit more into the organite, you know, and with toroidal fields, you're just talking about two slipstreams going in different directions. And when you look at the ether, if you want to look at it, or you could call it organ level, whatever, it has different layers. And, you know, as humans, we kind of uh, sabotage ourselves by focusing just in, in one direction, which makes it seem like gravity is awful real. Whereas bees out there are able to just, uh, you know, slide in and out of, uh, you know, just by feeling intuiting you know we'll say and understanding what they need to do and then it just happens but uh now with organite i was really interested in something i heard you talking about on another show which was uh making it out of beeswax oh yeah we do that so here mr where's and you can do this at home too so that way everybody knows you don't have to come here to do it but we have an mm-hmm. organized station and basically because often it's made with resins plastic resins we have that as well for mm-hmm. different uses but again, mm-hmm. it's a, let's call it a seven-layer cake. Well, every one of those layers matter, including the substance that holds the energies because it's part of the energy device, which is what an orgone or organite device is. So we have melting pots back here, and we just use the um, organic beeswax and melt it into a little crock pot with a little handle. And I have over 100 ingredients from <laughs> polished rocks and stones to herbs to teas, all types of things. Well, you just, and metals, of course, and won't get into the whole orgone description because I'm sure you're very aware of that. Um, and make those layers. And then in between the medium would be the beeswax. So they look like little candles when you're done with them, but you can see the different layers in there. And of course, while you're making that, so I tell different people that are doing it, get excited, have some fun. Of course, they probably are anyway because they're doing it because that energy matters. Of course, the organic beeswax holds energy as well. So there's no chemical in there. Well, they're going to hold the energies in the environment at the time. So get excited, have fun. Think about the person. If you're trying to make this orgone device to heal yourself from something, imagine yourself already healed from whatever that ailment or disease is, not a disease. Then while you're making it, you've got those anti or frequencies in the device. Now have it around you. 
and you can do things like that. So there's lots of layers. I can probably go on for an hour, and I won't, on the orgone devices on why the, the wax is such a benefit rather than a chemical-laden resin. Again, I'm not trying to diss resin ones out there because we have resin orgone devices too, but you don't want to use a wax one maybe in 120-degree heat out in your shop. Different. So we've had, we've, we've done some organite shows before with Mitch, the organ donor who is really on a mission to tackle the larger um, effects of the mass spraying and the, the, the towers. And so his strategy is like massive, almost like a battle going on. So he's using resin because it's more, it's more cost effective and it's just dumping out the orgone to counter that. But I would, I agree in your home, in your, your surroundings, in your in your yard and stuff, having a fully natural, organic as possible orgone device makes a lot of sense. And um, I just have a question on the the wax. How um, how like if I want to put that out in my yard, um, will it disintegrate and break down in the sun, or how strong will that be uh, outside? Of course, it's all relative depending on your environment. But you know, we use little see through cups like a candle and your layers. And it's unless you're in the extremes where I go down to Arizona and stuff like that, but your normal heat down in California, Oregon, Washington, you know, a hundred degrees or less, they're going to hold just fine. They won't, the top layer maybe, you know, soften a little bit, but it's not like all of a sudden the ingredients are all going to fall down to the bottom or anything. It doesn't get that hot. So they work well is what it is. Um, but also just thinking about all the layers in there while you're making it, it's not just about orgone. So that's, um, Saying like, well, let's use a cooking or an ice cream analogy. That's like saying, well, make an ice cream. Well, there's a lot of flavors of ice cream and not everybody likes chocolate or vanilla and this, that, and the other. So the intentions, the environment, there's lots of factors to orgone, of course. Um, but no, you can use the wax. So, so what do you think if you uh, created your layers, you know, with wax and then just did a very thin layer of uh, maybe resin over it to separate to keep the layers from all merging if you were out, you know, to keep it outside to do cloud busting or whatever. Uh, can you, do you think anything like that would work? And, and uh, what do you think? Would that have any more uh, efficacy as far as creating effects on the atmosphere as, as uh, relative to or in contrast with pure resin? I would only really differentiate between the two. So go meaning focus a bunch on the B one for maybe something right on your nightstand, something right around you. Mm -hmm. Um, And then get into more of the resin ones for the cloud busters and things like that. Cause Mm -hmm. those are all legit devices and you're going to need resins or on those. One example of a cloud buster, of course, is a copper pipe. And again, I'm just going to go fast here. You can plug it in things with wood. So there are other Mm -hmm. options but no, I use resin as well on different things. So I'm not anti-resin, um, but also always now know in your, in, in, I guess, understanding that resin's programmable too. Everything's programmable to one degree or another. Sure. Okay. Well, then all we have to do is be in the energy worker or chef at the time is go, oh no, there's nothing harmful in that resin whatsoever. It's love. And then you use the tool you got to use. So yeah, I'm not anti-resin because yeah. So there's lots of yeah. Use. Bear and I are, and we've been talking about this. And Bear, we got to connect on this. We're gonna, we want to build some massive, like old school Wilhelm Reich style chem buster or cloud busters, like cannons. We're mm-hmm. gonna work on this summer and film it and stuff. And I, I was hanging out with David Avocado Wolf, if you know who he is. He was in um, here a couple weeks ago, I think. Yeah. Oh, 
We awesome dude. The store and they introduced him. We're like, ah, oh, I know that face. <laughs> yeah, he and his partner, they're amazing souls. And we were, he was giving me a story about a friend down in Texas. And um, Bear, this is going to be interesting when we do this. He's This guy spent like 30 grand on these, because copper is so dang expensive now. It's something we have to think about, Bear. But on these massive uh, cannons. And as soon as he grounded them and essentially shot them up to the atmosphere within five minutes. I think David said, maybe 10 minutes, black helicopters arrived. And so, yeah. Yeah. Right. I've experienced that too. I've experienced that. I've got countless stories of that with jets a couple weeks ago, all the time. That's a around here. Fighter jets, helicopters. I mean, I'm going on stories and that it's, it's crazy. It's not even believable. It's that extreme. Yeah. So, it, it's a really interesting idea, right? That well, one, it just shows for, to the to the you know the critical mind out there, the cynic about oh, this is all woo stuff. What are you guys talking about? No, not only is this real science, but the other side understands this yeah. and are very tapped into this. Um, what I'm showing here right now is something Mitch sent me. This is what he calls a power wand. So this is an orgone device that has a audio cable that runs into it where we send audio frequency through it. And depending on the Hertz and the, and the frequency, we can do different things. Now this is very experimental. We're, we're playing with different frequencies to create rain clouds, to literally erase chemtrails in the atmosphere, which I've had experience with. I've, I have generated rain right above our town with this, but I just had an idea. I had an idea here recording bees humming with the song of increase which is discussed in this Jacqueline Freeman book so the song of increase is there's a specific resonance of bees in the hive during spring she calls the song of increase or i guess what the bee told her they call it which is their celebration of spring that this is the time when of course they're increasing their their bountiful uh harvest of honey and everything because there's so much pollen and so many flowers blooming, but taking that frequency of the bees and playing it through here and basically harmonizing or uh, extending that frequency out, projecting that out into through the ethers through this device. I just had this idea. And these are the kind of fun experiments that we like to do over here. And I know, Derek, you're all about this kind of stuff. So I'm just curious of any of your ideas with with that concept. I've done basically exactly that. That's I actually worked with Dr. <laughs> Valerie Solhelm as well. You don't have to, you don't have to play the frequency. So in one case, it's a CD ROM, have mm-hmm. the frequencies on there, put it under the hive, the bottom facing up the frequencies in there. That's a thing too. On the orgone devices, I've made them with small. You don't have to have some people think the longer, the copper, the better. Not necessarily. It's not always the, you know, the bigger, the cake, the better. Um, there's but lots of factors in that one. So I've made, the copper orgone devices embedded in shungite resin on the bottom and put them under hives on top of hives and all sorts of things and broadcast frequencies through there. Long story short, they work as an amplifier of your intentions within the orgone field. So not just the device you held up there, Mike, yeah, you can plug it in and play some audio sounds or frequencies and yeah, it'll play those. But the bigger thing is what you're feeling and your intentions at the time. That's the 90%. So all these widgets and trinkets we plug in and stuff, all good, all usable. That's 10%. Now get excited about it, which is your intention was projecting the energies and cloud busting. So that's what was doing it. You, not the tool. Yeah. Um, that may, and you having that understanding makes it even stronger 
that's a thing too. So yes, I've done lots of orgone devices. With yeah, me. you're bringing it back to our original talk. We're the greatest technology. And lately I've been on my runs up the mountain. I'm going to be getting to the top. I've been doing some heart meditation and I've been focusing on the wind and I, it sounds weird, but I've been able to increase the wind and the overall magnitude of the energies in the forest around me through my heart intention. It's really a feeling, a, a motive feeling. The more I can tap into my heart and feel it, not mentally meditate, but feel it, then the winds start to pick up. And I sometimes think maybe it's just in my mind, but I swear to God that's happening. It is in your mind. And by the way, you're affecting again, what we're calling ether, orgone, or energy around it. So if you go out in the mountains and let's say you want to levitate something, don't like, let's start with a leaf, something light. Not that we're talking physical here. Don't affect the leaf, affect the energy around it, like the bees are doing. They're not doing that. They're affecting the orgone energies, loosening, again, what we call what Bear was saying, gravity. No, they're, they're affecting the energies around. So that's how we actually do it is we're getting into the 90%. We're all taught to focus down here as humans. Play with the widgets, the trinkets, get in the physical things. No, get in the 90%. Imagination and emotions, and then you'll get stuff done. I've climbed up on mountains, like you're saying, Mike. Seeing the chemtrails come down, the jet, and by the way, and I literally climb to the top of these Cascade Mountains and do it. Oh. They'll come down straight. I don't know where the heck they're coming from, these planes, and then do like a 45-degree turn, and then all of a sudden the chemtrails come on, and you can have an effect on those, which is why I was there. Behind it, here's more behind the scenes. All of a sudden, I saw another small craft many, many times come in just above what we can call a chemtrail or contrail, above it and spray a dark trail. And I started having an effect on those. So Whoa. down on the, the level on the ground, you would see, oh, chemtrail and, you know, the lines on this, that, and the other. And if you get high enough up and you don't have to have um, sight, like I'm saying, because I see more when I turn that on as well. There's no really turning it off for me now, my etheric sight. But even on the physical, I see a whole nother craft come in and spray a dark trail just above the white ones. Um, so all kinds of crazy things. I'm only yeah, mentioning yeah. that because I've gone up there with Oregon devices to have an effect on those as well. And, and you can shout out to bear because I remember like when we first moved here six, seven, eight years ago, bear or six years ago, I was, we were having a lot of chemtrails and I was talking to you bear about, we need to have go to fly up there in suits. And I was thinking once again, physically, externally, and you're like, no, <laughs> you just have to know how to go inside. And if we can just wake up to our own powers, we can literally just, just counter them with our own etheric body uh, power. So uh, and you're talking about that, Derek. It's, um, it's, all, it's very simple, really. We all can. I don't have, I like to joke, I don't have any extra fingers that make me extra special. We're all special. We can all do these things. And I'm so outed now that it doesn't really much matter, but I've straight up just for those. And as one example, yes, I've literally climbed to the top of mountains, opened up my hands, focused on it and did the cloud version, the chemtrails. I mean, straight up, you should be on a movie and wouldn't be believed anyway. It'd be called CGI, that distinct. So it's a thing. And once I do that, I'm just such of the mindset. I'm like, oh, if it can be done by one, it can be done a million times. I'm over that part of it. Now hit the floor running. And then it happens more and more often. And I can do that in the psychic thing, the energy thing, any of it. And we all can. So just realize it. Um, we don't need to be have these things prove to us 20 times, time and time again, just know it's there and then realize, and you'll forget about the training wheels and then you'll get a whole lot more done. Yeah. And when we're talking about organite, we have to remember all this is an amplification device. Mm -hmm. It's like training wheels for that uh, 
phase that a lot of us are in where we maybe don't have the intensity of focus just to not even need anything in the first place. Because, Mike, you said, well, maybe it's in our mind or in your mind. Well, yeah, it's in your mind. That's where the vectors start. It's the only thing that can produce the electronic force. And then as it goes through the different levels of ether, then it picks up the velocity through the emotions and all the different, you know, terminologies we use for uh, ether, you know, understanding. And those uh, intentions and those thoughts, uh, you know, not only precipitate, but then the the organite, you know, is, is an amplification device. So that's why it's it's a great training vehicle also to help us understand that our thoughts are things and that they will materialize and we can materialize any intention we have back in um god this must be about 40 years ago uh deb and i uh, were working with some folks and we used to just sit on the beach in hawaii and um we'd sit there and actually play with clouds you know like you see the little small clouds and we would dissipate them uh, have them move to one spot versus, and it just got to be a regular game we do where we'd focus and have things appear, reappear. And it was so amazingly uncanny. You knew it wasn't just, you know, things that were happening, um, happening independently of your thoughts. As some people uh, think there's interdimensional, um, you know, intelligence that you're actually communicating with. In fact, Trevor Constable, who became a great fan of Wilhelm Reich and, and you know, integrated his understanding of uh, the orgone level. He explains that fully, but we proved that to ourselves a long time ago. And uh, so that just became a favorite pastime whenever we'd be on the beaches in Hawaii somewhere with our friends, we just materialize and rematerialize and focus where we wanted the next cloud to appear. So, um, Organite devices are are a great tool to, I think, help us train how to use our intentions, our thoughts to have a great effect on natural phenomena and not feel like we're vulnerable to people that are out there using it to start forest fires and droughts and everything else. That's yeah, that, that's funny. Um, you mentioned Hawaii. I used to live in Hawaii as well. Do the same thing. I'd call it my etheric etch-a-sketch. So now I'm wondering, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. Like clouds back there. I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of us do that. Yeah. yeah that's funny. I think, yeah. uh, I think until we really, as a community, start to realize how tapped in we are here, we will not see Bigfoot. I wanted to bring up Bigfoot. Bigfoot will start to show himself more once we get more and more tapped in to this natural realm. Uh, we... We're briefly talking about uh, him before the show, and I, I asked you, Derek, can we talk about Bigfoot? Because you're up in Sask, like Squatch country. So are we. We're in heavy Squatch country here, and a lot of the old school locals have stories. Uh, and uh, did you have a story you wanted to share? Uh, pre-chat, you kind of shared one. I don't know if you want to share it on here or if you have any mm-hmm. thoughts on your theories about what Sasquatch is. You, do you believe that uh, he exists? Uh, because I feel like that is a, actually a very important story to talk about because it ties into a lot of, with the bees and nature and everything. If there, we have a large bipedal uh, creature like that living in the forest that people see, um, that is a tell, should tell us a lot about the nature of the realm we live in. Oh, sure, sure. And, um, and my understanding of them is, is expanded in the last several years since um, I created mystical wares here. Um, I, I share that story we talked about at the beginning, but now, and I'll kind of start 
the, where we're at now, they're, they're, I'm not going to say they're all this or all that and the other. There's etheric aspects or metaphysical aspects of them now. So when I'm in here doing sessions, all I can tell you is they're, they're not just some big hairy creature running around in the forest. They're a people. They communicate. They come in this office etherically. Several have seen them as well, and I see them every time. They're healers. So, again, I'm a blunt guy. I'm just tell you how it is in my reality, what works. Um, and actually tying in on the physical. So I've had physical experiences in person one-on-one with my daughter as well. When we were talking about the beginning of the show was actually my dad in more of your neck of the woods, which is Northern California. He owned 40 something acres in Fort Jones. So just think out on the coast for those that don't know. He's, he's 87, 88 years old now. And he says, it's okay to speak about it, but now, so he's an ex spy. He's actually an ex NSA agent. And I didn't even know that until he was like almost 80 years old. All I knew, Oh, my dad was an ex Marine and he didn't know what I did in the military either. So Long story short, we had that father-son chat a long time later. He tells me about his NSA spy, this, that, and the other, and then tells me, hey, Derek, I was walking on my, um, because I told him some woo stuff about what I do, because he didn't know about that either, just didn't have an understanding. He goes on to tell me about walking on, and again, 40-something acres, old logging roads. He's an old rock hound and a gold prospector like myself. So eyes on the ground is what I'm getting out here, looking around at stuff to pick up, shiny objects, stuff in the hills. Um, he walks around a bend, walks up on this creature that he goes on to describe is eight, nine feet tall, standing up, um, hairy head to toe. And all it's doing is standing there just eating berries. That's all he's doing. And he has, he's, I said, okay, how long were you looking at? And he says, oh, maybe a minute before he turned around. Um, and he said, I'm saying he, but he said it because then he told me he could tell. So long story short, the Sasquatch turned around perceived, saw my dad standing there. So this is a little old guy. He's maybe five foot tall at best. He said they stared at each other. No more big interaction than that. And then the Sasquatch jumped over the berries and just kind of trucked off in the forest. Um, but he didn't know when he's telling me, it took him two years to tell me this. And he describes, I'm like, dad, you're talking about a Bigfoot. And then believe it or not, he goes, yeah, it had big feet. I'm like, oh my gosh, you don't even know what a Bigfoot <laughs> is or a Sasquatch. He's all, nope, but I'm telling you, this entity, and he goes, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, Dad, it's a Sasquatch. It's a thing. So that was my father. Again, he's been in the know for a long time, realizing it. But here in the Cascade Forest, again, with my now adult daughter, we've gone out there, literally walked up onto him. It, it depends. Sometimes they would start out, you know, the whole smell thing. You'd smell something or other, meaning then you'd start thinking about him if you have that understanding. Um, and then maybe you'd see some movement out in the forest. So as time evolved over the months, um, eventually we walked up on one. There was, uh, actually I was with a dozen other people. The, the bigger one I should tell you about, again, I was a correctional officer at the prison driving to work on graveyard shifts. And I'm telling you that for a reason, because dusk is coming on highway two for local listeners. Now they can get a visual. I was driving from gold bar, just think the middle of the cascade mountains out there in the boonies to the prison in Monroe, Washington. So on that highway too, there's just peppered with fields all over. And I was driving, there was maybe eight at night or so. And all of a sudden in front of me, I see a Sasquatch just literally running across the highway. And there's a little mini church out there that's like eight feet tall. At I mean, a little mini one, maybe two people can fit in. I don't know what it's all about, but it's on the side of the road. Been there forever. That's my visual reference on what I'm looking at here. So I see how tall he is, maybe a couple hundred yards ahead of me. No big exciting story to tell you other than he's trucking across the highway, leaps over this little church and fence and goes through the field into the mountains. Because, I don't know, again, a couple few hundred yards away is literally the Cascade Forest. 
I'm driving thinking, oh, I just saw a metaphysical sass, thinking he was in etheric form. Oh, no. I look at my rear view mirror and there's cars all pulling over doing this. I'm like, oh, that guy was actually, because it's hard for me to tell sometimes what's physical or metaphysical. Um, I'll just put it that way. So I assumed I was just seeing him metaphysically. But when I saw all these other cars pulling over and people trying to get snapshots and all that, um, it was pretty obvious he was physical. So lots of interactions, even with small guys that I'm, I know for visual, um, younger ones. I was out there with my daughter. We came up on a couple of those. Um, uh, here's an add on really going to be out there. I don't know everything by any means and I'm glad I don't, but they were physical and then etheric. So they went invisible. Don't know how they're doing that. I, we can yeah. use terms like phasing out or something. I could still see them, but my daughter couldn't. So I could see them kind of hazy and they would start grabbing branches, messing with her kind of thing. And I'd watch them walk over. I wish she was here to say, I'd say, Oh, they're going over there. So all of a sudden she'd see the one branch just kind of shake down kind of thing. Um, and she'd get her, 3D acknowledgments on that. And again, I don't know why they, I'll just use the term phased out. Maybe Bear has more understanding on that. Um, but some of them can do that. And I'll also say not all of them can. So that's not a thing either. So I think they're similar to us. Different they're, races. Yeah, they might be. I don't know if I want to say races, people, understandings. Because <laughs> technically every human is intuitive or psychic. Now, whether they realize it, eh, that's up to them. Maybe it's the same crossover. I don't know, but I've seen it all across the spectrum and it's several more stories, but no, there, it is a fact. They are a physical being that can also be meta kind of sound like us, doesn't it? Physical and metaphysical. So I, I loosely call them cousins. They communicate when they um, literally speak to me. It's not in some weird guttural sounds. It's what we'd call downloads, um, instant understanding. So they'll like, I'm kind of pointing here in my office with the couch over there where clients sit and I don't plan it, hit a Sasquatch button and some Sasquatch jumps into the room during a session. I'm just doing the reading or session, be it a healing or the psychic thing um, or medical intuitive. And if I do the medical, because I'm a medical intuitive, I can, I know it's weird, but I can see into your body somehow and see stuff. When I do that aspect of what I do, the Sasquatch people come in. So I, I kind of call them healers. Um, and they have, they're, they're very um, loving entities. So I'd say they're a people, not an animal, if that makes sense. That's what I say too. Yeah. And uh, sure. Mike and I have uh, up here, Mike and I get a lot of squash stories all the time. I had a guy out of my property a couple months back. He's native American, native Americans uh, uh, around the area here. They all have, oh, yeah. uh, you know, a strong belief and uh, you know, it's just part of their tradition. They just know it's a reality, but this guy was uh, out here doing some stuff on our land and uh, he used to work for the forestry service. And he had a close encounter and, uh, you know, had a, a good communication with it and, you know, just let whatever it was know that, you know, he would not divulge its whereabouts. And so he had a little bit of an ongoing interaction with it for a while while he was working way out in the backcountry. So, um, yeah, it's it's not anything unusual around here. It really isn't. It's and, the same here, too. The, the local... Um... So the, the local, um, so the Native Americans, the police, they have their police force here. There's a couple of them coming here, friends of mine. They had some outing, long story short, a picnic. There was at least 50 people there. Three Sasquatch walked right through there. They're on the outskirts of their picnic area walking. <laughs> so they don't believe anything. They know it just like I do. I used to believe it, go through all the stories, watch TV shows decades ago before I had any interactions. That's all gone. That all bores me now because it's a thing. It's real. And literally, the more you know that and go at it when you walk out there without negative intentions, 
you're going to have interactions and they're going to continue. It's almost on a daily basis here. In fact, an hour before the show this morning, I was talking to a coworker of mine. We're putting on a Sasquatch and Entities class next week here again to where we're going to do that and communicate with them um, and expand everybody's understanding. Now, they're, they're around. And they're, by the way, they're not just in the Northwest. I've seen them in Arizona in the middle of the desert where there are no trees. So figure that one out. And I don't know if they're bi-locating, teleporting, or what the heck's going on, but they're out there as well. So, you know, I think um, they're, they're everywhere worldwide and I think they're showing themselves more and more. I think we're col- this is culminating into a great disclosure from them. I think they've been around for millions of years. We've probably hunted them in the past. Um, and, uh, you always hear this story of, they have like a sad eye, kind of a sad face sometimes when they, they do allow themselves to be seen. I think they have sorrow for who we are and how we've been disconnected. Uh, and I believe those shows you talk about, they're never going to catch them on a camera because one, they don't get it. They're normie, total materialists. They're going out with all this digital technology too, that resonates in the forest. They can, the Sasquatch can know they're there, you know, immediately when they come in the forest, um, I know I just lost my camera. Uh, and, um, and that being said, um, the original film that's super famous, you know, um, uh, from the 1940s, uh, that was shot on, uh, what 16 millimeter film. So that was organic. That was analog, right? So, um, that, uh, I believe is why they caught them. So anyways, uh, I, I believe them. I, I've had some experience, but I haven't seen one yet, and I know I will soon. Yep, no, they're they're natural people. They're they're all over the place, and more and more stories. We have a museum here as well. Uh, there, and the bigger thing is, there when I start communicating communicating with them um, etherically or telepathically, that they're they're like really strong. So they've definitely been around here. Now, I've probably already been off the deep end of the pool anyway in this show, so that's okay. You said not to be shy. I've literally seen them on craft as well. So when I remote perceive, so let's say I have a session in here, a client saying, I feel like I've been abducted by this out of the other. Um, you know, let's loosely call them aliens or ETs. If I look and well, I've seen those craft too. So I get to see them. They're not, um, they're physical. So we'll just talk about the UFO ET craft and I'm bringing them into the Sasquatch thing for a reason. They're literally there. And when I remote perceive, and the military's taught this, um, they call it astral projection, remote viewing. There's a difference, though. Um, I actually get seen on the craft. So let's say I'm looking in this spaceship. We'll loosely call it remote viewing for a person to see what was going on. Why was this happening? Everybody on that ship, all the little entities running around, there's different ones, different times, depending on the situation. Um, they don't see me usually. I'm like invisible. The Sasquatch entities, sometimes they're on there. Yep. A big furry Sasquatch literally on a ship. Sounds crazy as heck. I get it. But sometimes they're on there and they're the psychic ones or etheric ones because they pick up on me. Basically, they'll perceive me. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. That one just saw me. What's going on? And then it's a whole nother situation. Never a bad thing, but that's a thing as well. Uh, literally talking about it when I was, for those who aren't video, I glanced off my screen. Both my ears just lit up ringing because I am already tuning into them. And again, tonight it's like symptoms you'd call it as, but on the money, on the cue, exactly when I think about things. So literally, I don't know, we don't have terms, but you can turn on your imagination such. So I get to glance here off my screen and I have a hazy, I don't know, movie or video plane, but it's not a movie. It's, it's actual remote perception. If that's a term, I don't know. Um, but so that's happened as well. So um, yeah, there, there are a lot more than, than, than us. I'd say we're the ones that 
let's go Sesame Street. One of these things are not like the other. We're the ones that aren't from here and, and didn't start here kind of thing. So there's a lot of, a lot of stories. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Mike has gone interdimensional on us uh, now. Oh. Mike, are you still there? I'm here, but uh, the gremlins have come and are eating on my cables right now. So uh, my video has gone. But go Maybe ahead. you've just disappeared from our realm here. <laughs> you phased out. So, um, so fantastic conversation. How about um, anything else we can round out the B discussion with here? I mean, it all ties together in, in kind of a strange way. So I don't think we're even on uh, uh, Sasquatch as a tangent, you know, because we're talking about these uh, other dimensions that are right under our nose all the time. And uh, the veils are getting very thin right now. You know, we it's because that time continuum that has been a luxury for our, uh, you know, our training here for humanity for so long. It is literally disappearing in our midst. So that two-way toroidal field is uh, not so much going sequentially in a timeline anymore, but now it's actually uh, all evident at the same time. And I think that's, uh, you know, why we're starting to see more and more. Some people, you know, are leading the way like like yourself, Derek, but uh, more commonplace for people just to perceive uh, that there is a lot more going on than, than what we all think. So um, back to bees, uh, anything else you can uh, final thoughts do, you can share with us? I do uh, have one, ahead, one thing about the bees um, allergic reaction, right? So we talked about, oh, right. about how bee stings are holistic, you know, Lee uh, beneficial. There's bee sting therapy, but Holda in chat earlier, and uh, shout out to Holda, uh, she's awesome. But she mentioned when she was a child, she accidentally stepped on a bee, had a sting, and had a massive reaction. Her whole body swelled up. She had to, went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you know, next time you get stung, you may die. So she was now living in fear of bees her whole childhood. Uh, what is your take on that? Yeah, that, that definitely, of course, has an effect, um, knowing that. So, well... Physically, what I would do is probably, and you know, I'm not a doctor or anything, but I mean, that's so I would ingest, you know, be products as a thing for that. So get those frequencies or energies in you, be it honey, propolis, there's different ways of doing that. Um, but definitely not living in fear of it. And I can't get into the physical biome aspects of maybe that vehicle, I'm talking about a body, you know, maybe doesn't, you know, use that energy such. So there's always lots of ways that that could be an issue, but living in fear, no, definitely don't. So if I was that person told by a doctor that you're going to die if you get stung again, um, well, I wouldn't believe it for one thing, but then I would still walk around in, you know, an invisible buckyball filled with love. See that as your armor every day. And by the way, I would redo that. Think of it as like an etheric hygiene. You take a bath or shower every day for your physical body for the stuff that gets on it. Well, we're mostly energy, but we're not taught about etheric or metaphysical hygiene. And that's where you can, again, imagine yourself walking around in these little, you know, buckyball or fullerene containers filled with love. And that's, that will keep those energies off of you. So if she had done that and got stung, she'd have already been in those frequency love energies. Um, and I don't think it would have affected her as much sort of thing um, uh, in that aspect. And then Barry, you're talking about what, bringing it back to, and we are back into the bees, but bees, something any of us can do, because it's not um, you know, maybe easy or logical or doable to have a big beehive, even if you have an apartment or how, whatever the deal is, and maybe you just don't want to be around, you're worried about getting stung. Well then get Mason bees or carpenter bees. 
They don't sting. They have little tiny bites like a fly, nothing to worry about, but you can get a mason bee house or a carpenter bee house, again, or make your own, nail it up to a back fence, have a, um, some moist mud or soil around because hence the name mason or carpenter bees. Um, we kind of went through them quickly, but they, they use those materials in their little tubes to build walls and things like that. Um, but those are bees that you can more easily have. So you can just go to a local store and again, buy that mason bee house or get online, nail it up. And as we mentioned before, there are 400 times better pollinators than honeybees anyway, mason bees and um, carpenter bees. So then you can have those around you and not worry about getting stung or things like that. And uh, butterflies, you know, we have a monarch festival here every year. And, uh, you know, we, we do little butterfly gardens. We uh, plant a lot of asclepias and things that are the natural habitat for monarchs. They're, they're fantastic pollinators. So many different pollinators. You know, just a quick comment about a bee sting. Um, all it is is a reaction. And energy always creates form. And so if our um, neurology is hardwired uh, by the energy behind it, to have that kind of a reaction, you know, where we think we're going to have a, a life-threatening event uh, from a bee sting, or maybe we really, you know, lose our life by a bee sting. It's because of some energetic event uh, this time around uh, in the memory banks from who knows where the precipitated that, um, you know, neuroendocrine response in the first place. So it's never uh, our body, our physiology, our chemistry that is at fault. It's always uh, something that is making us all every single moment react to things in different ways. And uh, when you go into deeper levels of bioterrain medicine, of course, you can ascertain uh, where those reactions are coming from. And there's uh, a number of ways to get at them and deprogram them and reprogram them properly. So you don't have to have that reaction, uh, you know, and be worried all the time, but it is a different process, but uh, nobody comes in with a physiology that's more, um, you know, at risk than anybody else. That makes total sense. I like programming. I would add, um, I think one of the most important things people can do is become a beekeeper. And uh, obviously, <laughs> more than ever, we need it, right? And I don't think it's as daunting as, uh, it's not as done. It's not as daunting as people tend to think it is. Uh, we are four years in on um, managing a couple hives ourselves. My wife, who has been affectionately uh, known as Bee, her name's Blakely, it's kind of uh, uh, funny that she is our queen bee here and she she basically manages the bees and it's been a wonderful experience and one thing people often ask us is you know what's the best diet what's the best um you know uh way for me to stay healthy and what i always say is being a local vor right eating what's local to you what you grow ideally energetically it all goes back to the energy and same with the bees same with the honey that my kids take in it's honey that we have created with our bees that are pollinating our stuff that we grow on our land and it's a symbiotic relationship of energetic exchange uh as um is so important uh for us to understand so uh derek what would you say to those out there who are potentially looking to start um their own apiary what is the best way to start and i guess the biggest issue that a lot of people have is like 
where do you get the bees? Because we know, one, a lot of the queen bees are like grown in labs basically now. I mean, they're raised, right? The, the, that whole industry of what they do with the queen bees is really gross and weird. And then you have to go out and buy packs or nukes from God knows where. And you're, now they're coming from some other place into your, into your area. Uh, and those bees might not do well. For instance, if they're raised in Texas and they're brought up the Pacific Northwest, those bees aren't going to know how to handle the rain. Um, so what is the best way solution for someone who's thinking about now starting their own apiary on their land to jump in? Great question. And actually, it's easier than we might think. You can catch your local your local bees locally. Um, so I'll go quickly that, that we get the understanding. You can have a, a trap. So one way to do it, you can take a five-gallon bucket, kind of a little drill a hole in the bottom of it, down to the bottom where the bees can enter, and then get some wax from one of your other beehives or local beekeeper. Just kind of spread some liquid wax inside so they have a starting point. And then there's also the smell and the frequency. Bees will be drawn to, of course, orgone energy that we've been chatting about. So in this area, lots of streams and creeks and rivers, water sources. Hang that bucket down near that water source, and you can put it, you can put a little honey near there if you want to draw some um, attention to it and hang it up a little bit. But basically after time, local bees will find it. And if they choose that it's a good new location for them, for them to split or supersede into, they're going to do that. So you can go back in a few days with a cork about this at night when the bees have gone home. And what you'll find often is in this little bee trap, you'll see that five gallon bucket. They're already making honeycomb in there. So at night when the bees are home, you put the little cork in there, you take your bucket home, open it up on top of one of your Langstroth hives and rehome them in there. Now you've got local bees and that's one of the best ways to do it. You're not bringing importing from here, there and wherever, and they're all chemically treated anyway. And on those nooks, for those that don't know, they're kind of like a, a baby beehive, maybe five frames or something, often chemical treated toxins. And they're not pulling the pretty nice new frames of honey out, giving them to you. They're giving you the older stuff. So you want to cycle that stuff out anyway, if you do buy a nook, but really catch your own bees out there. And then you've got local genetics and they're going to, it's not forcing it. They never, everything's energy. Don't force the energies, go with the flow and things will happen smoother. So that's what I would suggest is capturing your own or local bees, find another local beekeeper where the genetics have been there long enough. And then they're going to be acclimated to that area energetically as well, regardless of their initial genetics. Because, of course, the cycle so fast, um, they're going to integrate with local beehives. There's going to be cross bees going back and forth. Um, but yeah. so local bees, organic or treatment free for those that are looking, you know, I'm a big, you know, no chemicals are being helped whatsoever for any reason. So, you know, and loosely that's called treatment free organic beekeeping, depending on where you're at. So if you need to maybe start a hive from a beekeeper with those already locally. And there's oftentimes local bee groups you can join. We were part of one here until it kind of got disbanded due to the CV and some germaphobes in the group. But that being said, um, look, go on Facebook or wherever and look, try to find your local bee um, you know, community and join it if, you, if there's one or holler at them and they'll have great resources for you. Or one other actually offer up or Craigslist. Because often people will put it on there and say, you know, I'm, I'll come catch bees. So say you'll do it for free. Come out with a box. You can catch them because you'll find swarms, you know, local ones or other ones you can catch as well. So there's lots of options to do. You don't have to go buy chemically laden nooks. Yeah. 
we have a, a very unique strain of bees uh, up on this part of the coast, and uh, they're darker than like Italian honeybees. And uh, they've been the subject of uh, much study by Humboldt State University because their uh, genetics uh, are thought to be much more resilient to a lot of the problems of other bees. But I've bought Italian bees, you know, nukes before. And uh, by the end of the season, they're, they go from light brown to dark brown. So they just, um, you know, mate with the local bees and they become local within one season. Same here. The exact same thing I've, I've noticed up here as well. And you can, even if you have to start mm-hmm. with the milk, because maybe there's no other place to get it, cycle those frames mm-hmm. out for the new beekeepers and get new ones in there. So you can, it's so you can start wherever you need to start. That's okay. Just start. I would say mm-hmm. go with a pack if you can. And that's just a box of bees. And then they have a little sep, a little box that has the queen there. And at least that, then you're introducing them into your, you know, not chemically treated, uh, you know, frames and stuff. Um, that's what we typically have done in the past and we've had some good success. And luckily we've had people that get them somewhat locally here in Cal- Northern California, at least. Um, but yeah, um, we have a, uh, swarm box that we put up in the mountain here. Haven't had anyone, hadn't have any swarms in there yet. Uh, and then we use a little lemongrass, yep. um, uh, essential oil and you can get swarm commander, which is a spray, which is, I guess, bee pheromones, um, but, uh, yeah, a lot of fun guys in the end, go have fun with it. Become a beekeeper. I think it's one of the greatest things we can do right now, um, is have bees on your land and it helps all your neighbors out because they range and they pollinate your neighbor's stuff. And then you can start educating your neighbors. We've educated a few of our neighbors about not spraying roundup because of their bees. I'm like, you're going to hurt our bees and our bees are helping pollinate your flowers. So just don't spray that stuff. There's other things you can do and they don't want to kill our bees. So they stop doing it. So, um, yeah, it's a fantastic thing to do. Any, any parting words for our community? This has been an amazing chat today, Derek. Uh, I've had a great time. No, I appreciate you having me on. I would just say to encourage others to become beekeepers if they can or help another beekeeper. It's a lot less work. It's not that you're going out there every day spending hours. You do it right. You're not out there at all almost. So it's more of a hands-off approach as far as I'm concerned. Don't, you don't need to get in there. They know what they're doing. You don't need to get your hands in that high all the time. Um, and then let them be, and then we'll be all a lot better off. <laughs> Beautiful. Mysticalwares.com. Uh, Go there. Uh, support Derek and everything he's doing up there. When I do come up to some, uh, so I am coming up your way the end of August for my birthday. We have friends that live not too far from you. We're going to do some hiking, hit some lakes. I'm very excited. I've never really explored that area. So I am going to come visit you. I will let you know when that's going to be around my birthday, end of August. I'm going to bring my fam. I'm really looking forward to it, Derek. I hope you're going to be around there because I'd love to meet you in person. Awesome. I will be. Definitely give me a heads up and I'll, I'll give a, a shout out when I come back down in several months to uh, California. Maybe I'll get to, to meet you both as well. Yeah. Yes. Come on by. See us at the farm here for sure. I would love to. Not only, I mean, see us come stay. Uh, we have a house you can come stay at on the South Fork of the Smith River at the farm. And uh, and I also have a guest apartment here. You're welcome to Come down, bring your fam, stay. We'll go in the redwoods. We'll go uh, rafting if you're into that. Oh yeah, uh, and uh, have a have a blast. So, thanks so much, guys, for uh, joining us on the chat and uh, on this uh, amazing show. If you're resonating with this, please give us a thumbs up, a like, share with your friends and family. That really helps us out. Um, you can find out more about us by going to alphavedic.com. That's a l f a v e d i c.com. 
Um, you can support us by buying our teas and our products. Also, we have an amazing Telegram group at t.me forward slash Alpha Vedic. That is a really fun community. Or you can join us on Discord at alphavedic.com forward slash Discord. Finally, you can join our co-op at patreon.com forward slash alphavedic, patreon.com forward slash alphavedic. We are shifting off Patreon and moving on to our own site. That is happening soon. So just keep an eye out for that. And you can join our mailing list on our website. All of that information is in the show notes below. We love you and we'll see you next time. Remember to get outside, get your feet in the dirt, uh, go start your own beehive. Uh, Mother Nature is our best teacher and um, you, uh, there's nothing better you can do than get out in nature. So Go to it, and we'll see you next week. Love you guys. Later.